Welcome to Alcofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Today is July 2nd when I'm recording this uh, from my office here in Mountain Home, Tennessee. And uh, as we head towards uh, the most American of holidays, the 4th of July, uh, I'm going to talk to you about one of our um, you know, hallmark medications, one of the, the bread and butter, what we call the foundations in Oncopharm series here, uh, which is tamoxifen. Aliases for tamoxifen, Novadex, uh, TAM, uh, ICI 46,474, which I'm guessing meant it was the 46,474th compound uh, that ICI Pharmaceuticals or this company uh, had started. Uh, mechanism of action, this is a CIRM, which stands for Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulator, and the key word there is selective. So in some tissues, it has estrogenic activity. In other tissues, it has anti-estrogenic activities. And this is not just in humans. This is very species-specific whether tamoxifen is an anti-estrogen or not. So where is it anti-estrogenic? Well, the breast, which is great. That's why we use it for hormone-positive breast cancer. But it is estrogenic in the uterus, endometrium. It is estrogenic in the bone and estrogenic in the blood. And we'll see what consequences that have uh, later on. Uh, now, why is it an estrogen or estrogenic in some tissue and anti-estrogenic in other tissues? Well, the way the drug works, it binds to the estrogen receptor, which is on the outside of the cell, and in that process, it has to translocate to the nucleus, where it then, if it's going to be estrogenic, is going to turn on gene uh, transcription. So that requires a coactivator. Uh, so other molecules that come in and help that that, uh, that tamoxifen estrogen receptor complex go and turn on genes like estrogen normally would. There are, so those are coactivators. There are also co-repressors. And what it seems to be is that the co-repressors are more prominent in breast tissue and the co-activators are more prominent in cells of the blood, bone, and endometrium. Why there's a tissue-specific difference in whether tamoxifen is estrogenic or anti-estrogenic. Going into the history of this, fascinating history as usual. Uh, this drug, tamoxifen, was discovered in 1962 by female chemist Dora D. O. R. A. Richardson of ICI, which later became AstraZeneca, which was uh, a British company. And they had a contraceptive program. They were trying to develop contraceptives, and specifically oral contraceptives. And the goals of the program were to have a contraceptive that was easy to use, so, you know, like an oral drug taken once a day. Uh, and not toxic. Now put that in the perspective in the early 60s of drugs that were being used at the time to treat cancer. Very, very toxic, life-threatening toxic, to the point that people using chemotherapy, the early pioneers of chemotherapy were called uh, butchers uh, because they thought it was barbaric. Uh, others thought it was barbaric to be using such toxic drugs to treat cancer. So it's in this milieu that tamoxifen is being developed as a contraceptive. Spoiler, it, it didn't work as a contraceptive. It actually, instead of blocking ovulation, spurred ovulation. And then actually, uh, there's some writing from, from Dora Richardson and others in, in the early program that there was a patient who had been infertile for a long time and was put on a tamoxifen study and then was able to conceive while on tamoxifen. And that was a big shot in the end of the program that, hey, maybe there's something useful here to this drug. Something else useful that they ended up finding was that it's effective for cancer. Um, so, in preparation 
for testing tamoxifen as a contraceptive, they did some smaller studies not in a contraception population. Remember, this is in Europe. This is, uh, this is after the thalidomide disaster where uh, thalidomide was used in Europe uh, for morning sickness women and caused horrible uh, birth defects and deformities, whereas in the United States, um, uh, another woman, I can't remember her name, had uh, basically advocated not for approving thalidomide because it had not been proven safe in such situations. Uh, so there was uh, very a lot of care, apparently, in the early 1960s or, or in the 60s in Britain about using these drugs in one who might be pregnant. So one of the ways they thought about trying to test the drug early in patients and, and get around those concerns of it maybe causing birth defects were to test it in women who had breast cancer, who uh, were not candidates or were not going to be trying to conceive. And they found that the drug worked pretty well in women who had metastatic breast cancer. Now that's um, ironically the first hiccup in the tamoxifen uh, evolution. So because it was effective for breast cancer and didn't help um, as a contraceptive, the program ICI tried to shut down the the, uh, the studies of tamoxifen because they didn't want to quote give it to, to people who are already going to be dead or to dead people. Um, so uh, is this about 1970 when this is happening? So Arthur Walpole, who was the head of this contraceptive program at ICI, threatened to resign, and eventually the company allowed these studies to continue. And thank goodness uh, for all of us in society. Uh, in 1973, we get the first PubMed citation of tamoxifen in the British Medical Journal. British Medical Journal, authored by Ward, uh, showing a 77% overall response rate at a dose of 10 milligrams twice a day um, in, in about 60 patients, 60 plus patients with metastatic breast cancer, some pre and some postmenopausal, <clears throat> with quote, side effects that were usually trivial and of low incidence in both dosing groups. So there was like a 10 milligram once a day and 10 twice a day. Uh, and obviously 20 milligrams a day is what we use now. There's no difference between DID and daily dosing. Uh, in 1980, the first results are presented of the NATO study, and those are published in Lancet in 1983, which is the Nolvadex Adjuvant Trial Organization study. Oh, back up. 1977, that's when tamoxifen gets approved in the FDA uh, in the metastatic setting for breast cancer. Uh, so this NATO study, not North American Treaty Organization, but Nolvadex Adjuvant Trial Organization, was looking at about 1,200 patients uh, with stage 1 or stage 2 breast cancer, had surgery, had a mastectomy, and then were randomized to tamoxifen 10 twice a day for two years or placebo. So we don't use 10 twice a day, we use 20 once a day, and we don't use tamoxifen adjuvant for two years, but for longer now. But that was the very first study we had, and we saw that, that treatment failure at 21 months was less common in tamoxifen than placebo, 14.2% versus 20.5%, and that benefit continued to grow as the years went on. Now, at that time, interesting caveat here, at that time, at first publication, 1983, there was no difference in benefit of tamoxifen whether women were estrogen receptor positive or negative, uh, and they didn't use those terms, but that looks to have been, in hindsight, obviously, a result of a bad assay. They didn't have a great job of detecting the estrogen receptor. I just want to keep that in mind as new drug comes out, like the immunotherapy agents, and we're trying to figure out what is the best predictor of which patients will respond to this. It's going to take us a while to figure that out, I think. Uh, and another big study in the history of tamoxifen was the ATAC study, A-T-A-C. Uh, this was an astrazole, tamoxifen, or the combination. Now, the combination 
didn't didn't work better than either one. It actually was worse than the aromatase inhibitor by itself. But these were 9,000 patients who took either a natrazole tamoxifen for five years. Um, the recurrence, and, and there's a publication originally in Lancet in 2002, in 2008, after 100 months of follow-up, and then in 2010, after 10 years of follow-up. So a lot of great follow-up in this study. So uh, basically 10 years after, after taking these drugs for five years, sorry, five years after taking the drugs for five years, so 10 years total of, of study, the recurrence rate in the anastrozole group was 19.7% versus 24%, so pretty large difference there in recurrence. The death rate was 23.5% versus 24%, basically about the same. And these were all postmenopausal women. And this study uh, basically established that AIs are superior to tamoxifen in postmenopausal patients with breast cancer. So this brings us kind of to summarize the uses of tamoxifen in present day. It could be used for metastatic breast cancer treatment, whether pre- or postmenopausal. It could be used for the adjuvant treatment of breast cancer, whether pre- or postmenopausal. Unlike the first NATO study, we now know that five years is better than two years. Uh, Ten years is better than five years as well, based on some recent studies. Um, and there's all sorts of switch studies that have been uh, tested. Two years of this, three years of an AI, two years of tamoxifen, five years of AI, all sorts of things. Basically, uh, the easiest way to think of this is five to ten years of hormonal therapy is what's best. Unfortunately, many women cannot tolerate uh, the full prescribed treatment for this. Um, it can also be used uh, so adjuvant treatment of breast cancer, metastatic treatment of breast cancer, and then chemo prevention. So this is based off of the P1 study, women who had a high risk of breast cancer based on the, the Gale score, so had a 1.66% or greater risk of breast cancer in the next five years. They got tamoxifen or placebo, basically a 50% uh, relative risk reduction in invasive breast cancer in those patients who got tamoxifen. I also want to point out, tamoxifen is the only uh, single agent monotherapy, which is the same as single agent, the only single agent you use by mouth for premenopausal women with breast cancer. You cannot use an AI by itself for premenopausal women for, for breast cancer. That has to be accompanied, if you're going to use an AI, by ovarian suppression, uh, commonly in the form of gosrelin. Uh, which was a, a GNRH or LNRH analog, also developed by the same company that developed tamoxifen, which is why Zolodex and Novaldex rhyme. Okay, toxicity. So briefly, I'm going to run through the list of toxicities. Uh, thrombotic events, so VTE, CVA, estrogenic effect in the blood, uh, endometrial cancer, estrogenic effect in the endometrium, hot flashes, myalgias, arthralgias, vaginal dryness, dyspareunia, or pain, on sexual intercourse, and then some eye toxins, a little bit higher rate of cataracts with tamoxifen, and at very, very high doses of tamoxifen, you can see retinal damage. You won't ever see it, but you might get a question from one of your physicians or nurse practitioners in clinic of a patient having retinal damage and thinking it's tamoxifen. And if you go back and find that this happened to me, you go back and you find the studies, and there were some retinal damage in patients, but they were taking like hundreds of milligrams of tamoxifen. Um, it's a little bit, uh, maybe not as useful, just to think of the toxicity profile of tamoxifen alone. Often we're considering tamoxifen versus an AI in postmenopausal women. So if we look at those toxicities together, in comparison, it can be useful. And the best way to do this is from the ATAC data study, which is what I'm going to go through now. So hot flashes, 34.3% with the AI, anastrozole. 39.7% with tamoxifen, so more hot flashes with tamoxifen. And these are all statistically significant values that I'm going through. 
Um, musculoskeletal disorders, quote, so this would be arthrologists, myologists, more with the AI, 27.8% versus 21.3% with tamoxifen. Endometrial cancer, very scary potential side effect of tamoxifen, 0.1% with the AI, 0.5% with tamoxifen. And you might say, or hear someone say there's a threefold or a fivefold higher risk of endometrial cancer with tamoxifen. It's still less than 1%. Still a very low risk. These are almost always, um, you know, grade or stage one disease that gets treated solely with surgery with hysterectomy. Remember, uh, many of these women with breast cancer who would be candidates for the AI tamoxifen decision are postmenopausal, would not be having any vaginal bleeding or menstruation, and the most common presenting sign of endometrial cancer is vaginal bleeding, so it should be an obvious sign that that needs to be checked out. Anybody on tamoxifen? Uh, fractures. Higher in the AI, 5.9% versus 3.7% with tamoxifen. And if you were to look at just BMD scores, what you'll see is bone marrow density will decrease in these women on the AI faster than on tamoxifen. Again, tamoxifen has some estrogenic activity in the bone. It can help preserve bone function or at least delay the decline more so than the AI. And this is the decision point in a lot of postmenopausal women. Uh, we know that AIs are better at preventing recurrence than tamoxifen, but the AIs are going to make osteopenia worse or osteoporosis work. So it's often that DEXA scan that that you'll see hinge the treatment between tamoxifen or AI in these folks. Uh, CVA, 1% with AI, 2.1% with tamoxifen. VTE, 2.1% with AI, 3.5% with tamoxifen. So you do, again, that estrogenic activity in the blood with tamoxifen, you do see the slightly higher rates of CVA, VTE, endometrial cancer. Uh, if you looked at cholesterol levels, you'll see the group that uh, was in tamoxifen will have, on average, lower cholesterol levels. Uh, this led to kind of, you know, the Women's Health Initiative and, uh, well, not this data directly, but the idea that estrogen in postmenopausal men can help protect uh, their hearts from cardiovascular disease and death. And, and of course, we know that that does not work. Uh, there are two contraindications to tamoxifen. One is hypersensitivity. Two, I want to spend some time on. And I'm going to quote here from the, the U.S. Um, uh, label for tamoxifen, which was revised uh, in September of 2018. Quote, patients who require warfarin therapy, and this is in the contraindication section, so patients who require warfarin therapy or have a history of DVT or PE if, if the indication for treatment is either risk reduction of breast cancer incidence in high-risk patients, again, at 1.66% for five years, or risk reduction of of invasive breast cancer after treatment of DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. So basically patients on warfarin or a history of DVT or PE, so they could be on warfarin either for AFib or for a DVT or PE. If you're using tamoxifen to reduce the risk of breast cancer in someone who's never had breast cancer or someone who's had ductal carcinoma in situ, which is like stage zero, it's non-invasive cancer, then tamoxifen is considered contraindicated by the U.S. Uh, FDA label. That does not mean if somebody has, if you have, uh, you know, a 78-year-old woman who's postmenopausal with a DEXA score of minus three and a history of AFib on warfarin or some other anticoagulant that you can't use tamoxifen. You could if they have invasive breast cancer. Um, you would have to weigh the risk and benefit of doing that in that patient, okay? Um, so, and it's not like a pharmacokinetic interaction between tamoxifen and warfarin. You can find some studies that there's a little increase in, in the INR with warfarin, but that's why you check the INR so you can see what happens. Uh, moving on, from a drug interaction standpoint, tamoxifen uh, is really a prodrug. 
It's metabolized by cytochrome P450 2D6 to endoxifen, or 4-hydroxytamoxifen, I think. But endoxifen is, depending on where you look, 30 to 100 times more potent than tamoxifen, and much of its activity uh, is derived from the active metabolite. So because that conversion to that highly active metabolite is via 2D6, we have seen the potential for drug interaction with 2D6 inhibitors, uh, the, the most common being SSRIs, paroxetine, and fluoxetine, which are strong 2D6 inhibitors. And then you have uh, drugs like sertraline, duloxetine that are moderate 2D6 inhibitors. There's, there's a study by uh, Kelly and colleagues in the British Medical Journal from, uh, I want to say about 2010, that looked at SSRI use with tamoxifen. And what they found was that their paroxetine use was associated with a higher risk of breast cancer death. Fluoxetine wasn't, but most of the patients on tamoxifen and SSRI to that combo were on paroxetine. This was a study in Ontario, Canada, I believe. So we should avoid potent 2D6 inhibitors wherever we can in these patients. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, there are a lot of 2D6 inhibitors, but there are also a lot of drugs in the same class of those inhibitors. For example, you can change from paroxetine to citalopram or acetalopram, which is either, depending on where you look, not a 2D6 inhibitor or a very mild 2D6 inhibitor. Um, now, if drugs can block 2D6 and potentially increase the risk of breast cancer recurrence, then it's possible then that patients that are poor metabolized of 2D6 would have that same risk, and we have seen that. Um, now, uh, when you look at retrospective studies, you can find that poor metabolizers of 2D6 have a higher risk of recurrence. Uh, if you try and do that prospectively and randomize a population into, say, pharmacogenomic testing and then avoiding tamoxifen if they're poor metabolizers of 2D6 on a wide scale that has not yet shown um, uh, to be of benefit for a population-based approach. Uh, at least that's my understanding of the knowledge as of right now, or of the data. So uh, that's tamoxifen, and you know, kind of as a final thought, uh, really this is the first targeted therapy in my opinion. Uh, Vincent DeVita has written that 5-FU is the first targeted therapy, and he's basically the godfather of, of you know, chemotherapy. Uh, he wrote the book on it, literally, so probably ought to listen to him, but I, I'm going to stay with tamoxifen here. And then another common theme, the evolution of treatment over time. Uh, in some ways, tamoxifen is almost the, the model for how drug development happens in oncology. Not this whole idea of it was being tested as a contraceptive, but the normal approval process for the drug was metastatic cancer, then adjuvant treatment of cancer, then prevention or risk reduction of cancer. Uh, and not all drugs can, can be effective in all three phases with low toxicity. That's when you know you've got a good drug that can do that. Another common theme is originally the first benefit of tamoxifen was shown in a wide population. It was basically all patients with metastatic breast cancer, all patients with breast cancer. Over time, we learned that probably a quarter of these patients did not get any benefit, those who were hormone receptor negative. Once we learned how to truly identify those patients, we could spare them from basically tamoxifen that didn't give them any benefit and did slightly increase their at risk of endometrial cancer and of um, uh, and a VTE and, and CVA at the order of say one to two percent, two maybe two to four percent is better to put. Um, and then finally, uh, while tamoxifen sounds like a great drug, perhaps um, the percentage of women prescribed tamoxifen for five years who finish it is much much lower than we would like. A lot of that has to do with the hot flashes, um, to a lesser extent than musculoskeletal symptoms, and probably an underreported amount of it goes to impact on on sexual function with. 
uh, the vaginal dryness and dyspareunia, which can be impactful for women as well. It may be not as, as reported or as divulged to their oncologist or physician. So that's tamoxifen. We could get a whole lot more into the risk reduction and chemo prevention of tamoxifen, which is one of my big interests, uh, but that would be a subject for another podcast. Uh, happy 4th of July to all of you uh, in the United States, and happy 4th of July to all of you elsewhere. You just don't get the holiday off. Thanks again for listening to OncoFarm. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDietnip, follow the podcast uh, at OncoFarmPod on Twitter, uh, on Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Music, and the iTunes Store, where we would love a five-star rate, rating and a good review. Let me know what you'd like to hear more about in the future. And as always, remember, doses matter. Doses matter.